0: My name's Jamie. Uh, I'm the pastor elder who most Sundays gets the privilege of opening up the scriptures, unpacking them as we gather in spaces like these. Um, this morning's no different this morning. If you're new to our church, if you're new to the concept or the idea of Advent, this morning marks the fourth Sunday of Advent, a season meant to focus our attention on the coming of Jesus into the world. The joyful, glad-hearted celebration of his first coming amidst the feeding troughs of Bethlehem. Emmanuel, God with us, we just sang of that. And at the second time, the hopeful anticipation of his second coming. The return of heaven's king to make all things new. Fully and finally fulfilling our every longing. Advent is a season meant to focus our attention on what it means to live in the time in between. As we consider both the glorious gifts of Christmas past and the glorious gifts of Christmas future. And so with that said, I invite you to go ahead and open your Bible this morning to Psalm chapter 27. We'll be in the first five verses together. Uh, If you don't have a Bible, this morning's passage will be up on the screen behind me as we're working our way through the scriptures together. Let me go ahead and pray for us because we got a little bit of ground to cover this morning. Heavenly Father, praise you for the the wonder of the story of Christmas that you decreed before the foundations of the world that you would send your son to rescue lost sinners to yourself. And that every light we see on every tree and every home this time of year is a reminder that the light of the world entered into our darkness to rescue us. It's a story that's all too familiar to most every one of us in this room which means that there's a danger that our hearts would not be awakened to the wonder of it as our hearts should be. And so I pray that you would do that this morning through our unique focus on the delight that our souls have for beauty and the hope of the story of Christmas and how it, it brings the hope of beauty into the ugliness of our dark and broken world. Holy Spirit, we invite you, we implore you even, to move in this space during this time. Would you awaken our minds, awaken our hearts that we might walk out of here different? And that it would ultimately be for the increase of our joy and for your glory. In the name of our Savior and King, Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen. So as we've talked about for, for weeks now, the world in which we live is full of echoes. Reminders of the way God intended things to be. And hearing those echoes, we're, we're reminded that what we really long for is God himself something more than the reflection. A quote that I've shared throughout this series to try to frame it up a bit from the Worship Source Book, which is a collection of calls to worship, prayers of confession, et cetera. Regarding Advent, it says, the great proclamation, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us, John 1, 14. That proclamation assures us that God has entered into human history through the incarnation of the Son, The season of Advent, a season of waiting, is designed to cultivate our awareness of God's actions, past, present, and future. In Advent, we heighten our anticipation for the ultimate fulfillment of all Old Testament promises. When the wolf will lie down with the lamb, death will be swallowed up, and every tear will be wiped away. In this way, Advent highlights for us the larger story of God's redemptive plan. This series, it's brought us face to face with a number of longings that fill the hearts of those made in the image of God. The longing for justice going back to week one of this series. The hunger for relationships going back to week two. The quest for spirituality going back to last week. All of which invite us to... Look at the first coming of Jesus in joyful celebration of all that he's already accomplished. Yes and amen to that. The Lord our righteousness having come to inaugurate his good kingdom of truth and meekness and justice. God's plan to bring reconciliation and peace where there would otherwise be only relational hostility and brokenness. God revealed, God made known to a world searching, grasping for meaning in all the wrong places those very same longings all the while inviting us to look forward to the return of Christ, the second advent, the promise that Jesus will someday fully and finally do away with injustice and corruption forever in a land where broken relationships shall be no more. And we will know the ultimate fulfillment of the longing for eternity that God has put into our hearts, Ecclesiastes 3. This morning, we shift our attention to the delight in beauty The longing of our souls for a true sense of beauty. We all have our our perceptions, each and every one of us, as it pertains to the things that we find beautiful and admirable in this world. Be it a sunset or a painting, flowers in bloom, the ocean shore, a well-written song, the bright lights of a cityscape at night, the laughter of children. Falling snow. You don't get that one around here very often, but nonetheless. The smile of a stranger. A crackling fire. That's on top of my list. A well decorated home or church auditorium at Christmas time. Canopy of stars. The pouring rain. How about friendship? Autumn leaves. A good leather bound book. And on and on we could go, right? Our souls long for a true sense of of beauty, the beauty of creation, inviting us to trace the beam to its source, the triune God of beauty. We were created by a beautiful God, a God who makes beautiful things, including you and I in his image, created to inhabit a world of beauty, to declare and display the beauty of God for the glory of God. And yet... And most of us know this, there's a brokenness, an ugliness even, within us and around us. Having rejected the rule and reign of this God of beauty, choosing instead the path of judicial autonomy, the path of self-determination, a world now filled with the ugliness of sin. Something of, of which we see in Psalm 27 as David cries out to the Lord for help in a moment of crisis. If you pick up this morning's passage in verse 1 of Psalm 27, we're told... David says, "The Lord is my light and my salvation; whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life; of whom shall I be afraid? When evil doers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear; though war arise against me, yet I will be confident." David finds himself in the midst of a crisis. Something revealing the ugliness of this broken world, the threat of war, the danger of violence, the presence of evil. In the midst of which, David presents a couple of rhetorical questions. Whom shall I fear? Of whom shall I be afraid? And the answer, of course, is no one. Because the Lord is our light and and our salvation. And yet we oftentimes answer those kinds of questions very differently in the midst of the everyday rhythms and difficulties of life. Whom shall I fear? Of whom shall I be afraid? How about politicians? The outbreak of infectious disease, unemployment, unmet expectations, loneliness, relational dysfunction, the racing heart of anxiety, the darkness of depression. And on and on we could go, just like that inexhaustible list of beauties that we began just a few minutes ago. David, David turns to the Lord faced with something of the ugliness of this broken world, the personal nature of his faith expressed in the possessive pronoun, my light, my salvation. Light and salvation presenting us with the inescapable imagery of Christmas. You remember uh, Zechariah's song uh, of blessing over his newborn son, John, going back to the book of Luke, which we've been in for a while now as a church. John the Baptist would go on to prepare the way of the Lord. We're told in Luke chapter 1, verses 76 through 79. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation, there it is, to his people in the forgiveness of their sins, because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high, to give, there it is again, light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet in the way of peace. The light of the world, Jesus Christ, reminding us that that Christmas is an indictment before it's a joy. It's a declaration that we're far more sinful than we could ever imagine, unable to, to brighten up our own darkness through good works. Yet it's also a declaration that we're far more loved than we ever dared dream. God's love made visible to us in the sending of his son, having come to set captive sinners free from the darkened dungeons of their own sinful making. The grace of God bursting forth like a light in the midst of the darkness. That's the story of Christmas. The story of the dawning of God's grace and the coming of Jesus. The sunrise of salvation. I would ask this morning before we go any further, have you experienced the light of Christ having shone into your darkness? Rescuing you from sin's shadow of death. Personally, have you experienced this salvation? Do you have the peace that comes in knowing Jesus? in knowing the forgiveness and and deliverance that can only be found in him. Coming back to Psalm 27, David declares the Lord to be his light, his salvation, the stronghold of his life. Whom shall I fear, David asks. Of whom shall I be afraid? The Lord expelling the darkness of his fears as the ugliness of this broken world presses in on him. David trusts here in the Lord for deliverance. God's overcoming of David's adversaries and foes, rescuing him from the darkness of his circumstances, overcoming the ugliness of violence and evil that threaten him, that surround him. And yet, David understands that the ultimate aim of a relationship with the Lord is not rescue from circumstances, as if that's where the greatest hope of beauty is found. No, David understands that truest and deepest beauty is found in God himself in gazing upon the beauty of this Lord of light and salvation. If you go on in Psalm 27 verse 4, he says, One thing have I asked of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. One thing I ask. David's single-minded desire is that he might dwell in the presence of the Lord. The temple itself, a visible expression of God's presence. That he might gaze upon the beauty of God. What C.S. Lewis once referred to as the fair beauty of the Lord. Surely we could spend some time exploring the fulfillment of these words in the context of the people of David's day and the subsequent generations that followed. And yet there's a particular emphasis this time of year on the fulfillment of words like these in the coming of the Messiah. The story of Advent, the story of Christmas, that that our God is the God who makes beautiful that which is broken, restoring sinners to himself in the sending of his son that we might forever gaze upon true beauty, the beauty of the Lord. Unfortunately, we buy into the lie oftentimes that there's nothing broken within, that there's something outside of ourselves keeping us from experiencing true beauty, that we just need to to focus our efforts on fixing other people, on fixing the the broken situations that surround us, the broken relationships that surround us. And then in doing so, that we might know true and, and deeper beauty And that's not without an element of truth, as we all know, as there is a brokenness and ugliness outside of us. But there too is a brokenness that lies within, a corruption of of beauty that resides in the heart of man. In response to a a newspaper writer asking the question in his day of what's wrong with, with the world, G.K. Chesterton responded back to that newspaper writer and said, Dear Sir, regarding your article, what's wrong with the world? I am. Yours truly. In the words of one commentator, in a world that that often tells us that our internal beauty must break out, we have a God whose beauty broke into our story. Emmanuel, God with us. It's the story of Christmas, a God who came to, to dwell among us, to show us the way of beauty from the cradle to the cross, bearing the ugliness of our sin in his body on the tree, that we might be made beautiful through his redeeming work. That's the gospel. Restored into a right relationship with the living God that we might dwell in the presence of God's beauty forever. Christianity is so much more than a get out of hell free card. It's a gain of God in his beauty card. A God in whose presence, David says, is security and safety, shelter and refuge, which screams of the hope of the second advent, does it not? The return of Jesus, that in looking to the gifts of Christmas future, that we know that Jesus will someday return to make all things new, to make all things beautiful, that we shall see his face, Revelation 22 verse four, and he will be just as visible and real as he was when he came to lowly Bethlehem. Communion with God, intimacy with God, enjoyment of God, forever gazing upon the beauty of the Lord. And with that, eternal safety and security, eternal shelter and refuge. No more pain, no more sorrow, no more ugliness, no more death, safe in the arms of our Father. But lest we think that these are solely the the gifts of Christmas' future, God invites us into the beauty and safety of his presence even now through his word, Through prayer, through fasting and feasting, through relationships with his people, we have protection in Jesus. We have a covering in Jesus. We have the hope of beauty in Jesus who brings us true joy as we gaze upon his very beauty. He's God's final revelation, the author of Hebrews tells us. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, the visible revelation of God's splendor and majesty and beauty. That as Moses was able to enter into God's presence and meet with God without a veil, so we too, in turning to Jesus in faith, are brought into the very presence of God. The veil of separation removed, like the veil of the temple that was torn from top to bottom when Jesus was crucified true intimate access to the beauty of the living god the veil of blindness removed that we might see and savor the beauty and glory of god in the face of jesus christ it's a joy that's not dependent upon our circumstances nor the beauty nor absence thereof that we see or feel surrounding us at any given moment that if you're not a christian I pray that you would repent of your sins and turn to the Lord Jesus in faith, trusting in him for forgiveness, for deliverance, light, and salvation. That you would know the joy in the lifting of the veil, the joy of gazing upon the beauty of the Lord in Christ. And if you are a Christian, you know something of this miracle the miracle of seeing and savoring Jesus, his beauty. I once was lost, but now I'm found, Twas blind, but now I see. Those words are just as common to us as the story of Christmas, and therefore the wonder can be so easily lost. You're a walking miracle if you're a Christian with the capacity to see and savor true beauty in the face of Christ today. It's a different kind of joy that comes from that seeing and savoring. It's a joy that's bigger than our circumstances it's a joy that's bigger than, than our brokenness, even the ugliness around us and within us, which is not to say that we're meant to, to ignore the beauty of God and the things that He has made, as there's much beauty amidst the brokenness of this world. We just sang it, "Star of Wonders, Star of night, star of royal beauty." Bright." Rather, it is to say that any and all beauty in this world, it's an echo. It's not the voice inviting us not only to to bask in the beam, but to trace the beam to its source, the sun, the the true God of of beauty. For those of you who weren't around for our study of the book of Hebrews a few years back, one of the overused illustrations I shared during that series is a way of making sense of what I'm driving at this morning. And for those of you that are like, oh gosh, here he goes again. I just have one thing to say to you. Merry Christmas, you filthy animals. I'll give you the, the abbreviated version this morning. A few years back, my wife and I were on vacation, family vacation at the beach. Our daughters, I think, were three and four years old at the time. We're walking uh, in the evening hours. And all of a sudden, my oldest daughter, Lanier, looks up and loses her, her mind. Oh, my gosh, Daddy, it's, it's the moon. It's the moon, Daddy, look, look. She had, she'd never seen it in real life. She'd seen it in books. She'd seen it on TV screens. She had never actually stood and basked in the light of the moon before. And that moment captivated her. She couldn't stop looking. Not only could she not stop looking, she couldn't stop declaring. As I've said before, C.S. Lewis. I believe it's in his reflections on the Psalms, says that true joy is not complete until it's expressed. We know this in sporting events and when we go to see our favorite musicians or bands, we we have to shout it out as we're in the presence of of that experience. It must be declared, it must be said. My daughter couldn't help but declare it on the beach that night. She had seen true beauty. The second night we went out again, she did it all over again. I'm thinking to myself, we just did that yesterday. We've already gone there got the t-shirt printed, like we're on to the next thing. And she's, she looks at me like, are you crazy? It's still true beauty, daddy. We look at it the next night just the way we did the night before. And she did it for three or four nights there until vacation was over. And then it was just on repeat any night she was up late enough post-vacation to see it and, and proclaim its beauty and glory. To which I say, welcome to the Christian life. That to become a Christian is to do what my daughter did that first night on that beach as she beheld a beauty that she had never seen before. To continue as a Christian, to persevere as a Christian, is to do what my daughter did that second, third, and fourth nights on that same beach. As she continued to get caught up in that very same beauty. And yet in this case, we're talking about a beauty that far outshines the moon. We're talking about the one who made the moon and the stars, the cosmos, to hang as stage lighting on this divine, redemptive, historical stage in which he would carry out this this great work of redemption. The Christian life, it's a life of beholding the glory of the Lord, the light, light of the knowledge of his glory in the face of Jesus Christ, in all of his beauty and splendor. Knowing that, and this is great encouragement, Knowing that our beholding, 2 Corinthians, is the very catalyst for our own transformation. In the words of one scholar, willing exposure to the light of God's presence, God's beauty, will burn his image ever deeper into our character and will. It's one of the greatest gifts of Christmas past. The veil removed in the first coming of Christ inviting us into the presence of God that we might gaze upon the beauty of this God and know the joy of being ourselves transformed from one degree of glory and beauty to another. Until the day that Jesus shall return and we shall see beauty like we've never seen before. The final fulfillment of our deepest longing for beauty. I would say to... To you all in closing this morning, we have much to celebrate and yearn for as we consider yet again what it means to live in the tension of the time in between. That we have the joy in looking back on Christ Jesus, having entered into the brokenness and ugliness of, of our world Yes, he had no semblance of beauty, and yet at the same time, the second person of the Godhead, in all of his beauty, was stepping into the slums of human history to rescue us from the ugliness of our world. We have much to celebrate in the presence, knowing that as we behold the beauty of this God, he's transforming us into the image of his son. And we have much to look forward to as we think future, the second advent, longing for Christ to return. Amen, come Lord Jesus, where we will see a beauty like we've never seen before that we can't even envision the capacity for. As we sit here this very morning, still surrounded by the brokenness of this world, waiting, longing, and yet celebrating at the same time.